What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey there, friends. Welcome on into episode 54 of The Sco Show. Mark Schofield back with you now on today, Thursday. December 19th, 2019. We are getting closer to the holidays. We are getting closer to Saturday afternoon. The Buffalo Bills at the New England Patriots, a massive AFC East clash. Division title is still technically up for grabs. New England needs a win to secure the AFC East. Buffalo can somehow steal away the AFC East with a win and then a New England loss to the Miami Dolphins next week. And so, Massive game, lots to break down. I hope you heard yesterday's show, Nate Geary, former co-worker of mine from WGR up in Buffalo. He was kind enough to spend some quality time with us. Today we're going to have Joe Marino on. We're going to talk some draft, of course. You know Joe Marino best probably as the host of the Draft Dudes podcast, well, the co-host with Kyle Krabs, of course, and one of the main writers over at the Draft Network. But he's also the host of Locked On Bills. He's a massive Bills fan. Jim Kelly just visited with... Joe's grandfather. Joe's grandfather has a massive Jim Kelly shrine. So Jim Kelly just came in. And there's some great photographs. We'll talk about that a bit as well as this game, some draft stuff. So do stay tuned for that. We're also going to talk Josh Allen at the outset. But before we do anything, your usual cavalcade of reminders, please do check out the work on Twitter at Mark Schofield, on Inside the Pylon, on Pro Football Weekly, on Matt Walden's Rookie Scouting Portfolio. And yes, not one, not two, but three. SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and right here at Pat's Pulpit. we got a film film room piece up on the Bills' defense. Going to have another one coming up later this week on Josh Allen. It's going to coincide with some of what we're talking about. Because I do think it's important to revisit Josh Allen. If you think back to week four, I don't know what episode of the Sco Show it was. Somebody that wants to do their homework can probably dig it up. But I talked in the prelude to week four, the build-up to week four, about Josh Allen, timing and rhythm passer. It's not something anybody expected. But under Brian Dable, Josh Allen has turned into a timing and rhythm thrower. The growth and maturation of Allen in this area has been impressive. And so that's the Josh Allen that I sort of talked up going into week four. And then we saw him play in week four. And before getting into some nerdy film stuff, I did want to highlight some numbers. I like talking about numbers from time to time. If you look at Josh Allen's splits by opponent, he has played the Dolphins four times. He has played the Patriots, the Jets, the Titans, and the Ravens twice. And then a number of other teams just one time. 
In his two games against the Patriots, Josh Allen is 33 of 69 for a completion percentage of just 47.8%, one touchdown, and five interceptions. Those five interceptions, the most he has thrown against any team. He's thrown four against the Jets in two games. His quarterback rating of 38.9, again, with a caveat, the quarterback rating is not the greatest measure of quarterback play. That is his second worst against an opponent. The only game in which he was worse was a game last year against the Green Bay Packers where he was 16 of 33 for 151 yards and two interceptions. In that game, he posted a quarterback rating of 36.3. By opponent, Josh Allen's yards per attempt against the Patriots of 2.39. Worst against any opponent not named the Green Bay Packers. And again, this is over two games. His adjusted... Actually, that's his adjusted yards per attempt. His just yards per attempt of 5.36. That's actually been a little bit better. It's not the worst. He was worse against the Packers, and he was also worse in a game against the Houston Texans, where he was 10 of 17 for 84 yards. So he has struggled against the New England Patriots. It's not like, for example, his game against the Dallas Cowboys, where he was 19 of 24 for a touchdown, 231 yards, quarterback rating of 120.7. Or in his four games against the Dolphins, where he's thrown 10 touchdowns. 10. Josh Allen, so far in the National Football League, has thrown 28 touchdowns. 10 of those have come against the Miami Dolphins. Now, the quarterback we saw in week four was a guy that made some mistakes. For example, the first interception he threw in that game. It's a first and 20 in the first quarter, 10.46 left in the first quarter. He gets picked by Devin McCourty. And the Patriots, they show him a single high look. And then right before the snap, they rotate Deron Harmon back. And they actually run cover two. It's basically a Tampa two. Kind of a basic coverage. Not something you usually see with the New England Patriots. But Allen sees it. He sees it pre-snap. He points it out. And they run basically a pout concept. Post and out from a bunch to the right. Third receiver releases to the flat. And he wants to throw this post route to John Brown. Why? Cover two. Two deep safety. It's a soft spot in the middle of the field. Look, it's a high school read. It's a college read. Middle of the field open, right? The problem is this. Josh Allen's eyes never deviate from the time the ball is snapped to the time he releases this throw to John Brown from John Brown. And you don't have to be the best safety in the league to break on this throw, but if you're Devin McCourty, who is one of the best safeties in the league, and you're playing that backside safety, you're going to see this. And so if you look at this play, Josh Allen's in the gun, takes a five-step shotgun drop. Again, during those five steps, eyes trained on John Brown. As he's doing that, Devin McCourty's eyes flip to the outside receiver towards him. Because they're in three by one. He's got a single receiver out towards his side of the field. He makes sure that guy isn't going vertical. 
And then his eyes come back to Josh Allen, who is still staring at John Brown and who has yet to get rid of the football. And as Josh Allen loads up to throw this, Devin McCourty is breaking on that post route. He's not threatened by that outside receiver. And Josh Allen has done nothing, nothing to move him, to manipulate him, to hold him in place. So he breaks under the throw, easy interception. Another thing the Patriots did in that game was they blitzed Josh Allen. And they blitzed him with cover zero looks. And there was a big play in the second quarter, a third and six at the 1240 mark of the second quarter. Bills were driving. It's 13-0, but the Bills are in New England territory. They're on the New England 42. They go three receivers to the right with a nub trips to the left. So a single tight end to the left, in line, three to the right. Patriots show pressure, and they bring it. Bills, out of that three-receiver set, they run double China seven. It's a play we talked about a couple weeks ago. Remember the interception to Edelman at the end of the Chiefs game where you get the two-out routes from the inside? And that inside receiver, the number three receiver, runs the corner route. That's what they're running. You get the two out routes from the outside. And Cole Beasley on that corner route over the top to the outside. And what did I tell you? The read progression was on that play. You look at that first in-cut first. Then you get to the corner. Then the second in-cut. Patriots are in zero blitz. Both the in-cuts are open. But Allen throws the corner out. And he overthrows it and the pass falls incomplete. I'm reminded, and I'm going to paraphrase here from Michael Leach, Washington State coach. I remember I was reading a clinic presentation he gave on the mesh play. Again, if you want a window into the madness that is my life, in my spare time, I read coaching clinic presentations on the mesh play. But in that presentation he gave, imagine like an hour and a half of Mike Leach just talking about one play and how he coaches it. He talked about the wheel route, right? And everybody loves the wheel route. Wheel route is undefeated. You read it on the timeline all the time. But Leach said in this presentation about mesh, that when you put it in, you have to convince the quarterback that it's mostly there for show. It's there to stress the safeties and pull them to the outside, to the boundaries, so you can hit either the mesh or the dig or the post in the middle of the field. It's mostly there for show because it's an extremely hard route to throw. But the problem is when you install the wheel route, quarterbacks love to throw it. And Leach said this. He's like, once you put it in, your quarterback won't stop throwing it. It's the same thing with the corner route, especially from the inside split like you see on Double China 7. I was as guilty as this as anybody else. You love to throw it. Heck, I like to throw it in Madden now. Not that Madden counts for anything, but you love to throw it. The problem is it's an extremely hard route to throw. And in this case, when both in-cuts are open, Allen's going to throw that, but he doesn't. The pass falls incomplete, and the Bills punt. 
Now let's look at Sunday night. Because of course, it goes without saying, the quarterback the Patriots face this Saturday isn't the Josh Allen that we saw back then. Back in week four. And there's film evidence of this. Let's talk about the blitz stuff. Let's talk about the pressure stuff. I found a play, and it's a little different. It's not the exact same. And again, it doesn't have the best result in the world. And so, you know, you might think, well, why are we going to break it down? Well, I'll tell you. It's a third and five. It's on their opening drive. Bills go empty. They've got Devin Singletary flexed out to the left in a three-by-two. He's in the slot. Steelers show cover two. They show too high. But right at the snap, they rotate this into a cover one robber. And they show him a different look. And they bring some pressure. Now, the Bills run a spacing concept here. But in response to the pressure and in response to the rotation he sees in the secondary, specifically the fact that the defender that's really aligned over Singletary blitzes and they try to cover him with an inside linebacker working from the middle of the field to the slot. So Allen sees that and he goes right to Singletary with a hot read. Now, he has to float the throw over the blitz so there's a little bit more air under it than he wants and that allows the middle linebacker to get there. But that's a read he's not making back in week four. So you have some growth there. Now let's talk about that interception, right? The interception he threw, lazy with his eyes. Doesn't do anything to move the safety. Well, he throws an interception in this game too. But I wouldn't put it on him. Late in the first half, Bills are facing a second and 10 at the Buffalo 32. 2.42 left in the second quarter. And they run a Mills-ish design with Cole Beasley from the left on a dig, receiver on the right on the deep post. Working off play action, Allen's under center. Carries out his run fake, has his back to the defense, sets up, and he's looking right at that post route. He's looking right at him. When I'm watching the film, I'm thinking, he's throwing that post, right? He's looking at the post. He's staring at it. He kind of gives it a little ball fake, too. Not a full-on, like, pump fake, but he gives a little shoulder move, a little shoulder shrug. Then quickly flips his eyes to the left, resets his feet, and fires on the dig to Beasley. Now, the pass goes through Beasley's hand. And it gets intercepted. Throw... It's a bit high. One that Beasley probably should come down with. He has to leave his feet to try to get it. But at this point, I'm not even thinking about the placement. I'm thinking about the eyes. Because Josh Allen's not making that read, that reset, and that throw back in week four. But he's making it in week 15. And so that's signs of growth from him at the quarterback position. You know, and when you look at some other plays in this game, He's so much better with his eyes than he was in week four. 
And the pivotal play of the game, right? The touchdown at the end of the game. With eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. Tyler Croft. What do they do? They got trips to the left. A bunch to the left. Tyler Croft, a nub tight end to the right. And he runs the corner out. What are we talking about? How much fun it is to throw that, right? Well, part of the way you got to throw it, especially in the end, in the red zone, facing a too high look, you got to hold that safety to the side of the field you want to throw to. You got to keep him in the middle of the field. You've got a bunch to the left. What does Allen do? He opens to it, he stares at it, and then he comes right, resets, and drops in the throw on the corner off for a touchdown. Again, so much better with his eyes. And so when people say Josh Allen's a different quarterback than we saw back in week four, they're right. He is. He's gotten so much better with his eyes just over the course of a couple of months. And this is part of the reason why we see this year two jump from quarterbacks. And so watch him for yourself. Check out the video I put over at Pat's Pulpit. He's a different QB, and he's going to pose a challenge for the Patriots on, on Saturday. Do I think the Patriots' defense can slow him down, can contain him, can force some mistakes? Yeah, I do. But I also think he's grown incredibly well since week four. Enough from me, though. It's time for quality time. The one and only Joe Marino will join us. We'll talk some draft. We'll talk some Josh Allen bills. We'll talk a little thoughts from the timeline. All that ahead on episode 54 of The Sco Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 54 of the Sco Show. And it's time for quality time. And who better to talk Pat's Bills, talk a little bit draft, than the one and only Joe Marino. You know him as at the Joe Marino on Twitter. You know him as the co-host of the Draft Dudes podcast, part of the Draft Network, and of course the host of Locked on Bills. Joe, sir, how are you, buddy? Mark, I'm doing well. Always good to be uh, on a uh, on a conversation with you talking football, so appreciate you having me on. And it's great to have you back, buddy. we got a huge game to talk about. We'll get to that in a second, but I did want to start here. It's one of those reminders that football is more than just a game. Sometimes it's more important than that. I saw a great photo like a week or so ago of Bill's legend, the quarterback Jim Kelly, and your grandfather in your grandfather's house with the Jim Kelly wall, and the look on your grandfather's face was just one of just absolute joy. How'd that come about? Because it was so great to see. Yeah, that total dream come true for, for my grandfather. I mean, anybody to have a Hall of Fame quarterback come over your house. But, you know, my, my grandfather's basement, uh, is it's a finished basement. It's beautiful. It's better than my house, probably. Uh, and uh, it's basically a shrine for Jim Kelly and, and other stuff that he's collect. But, you know, the, the real, the real focal point of the basement is Jim Kelly and, you know, the memorabilia he's been able to accumulate. And, you know, he's met Jim several different times at signings and stuff like that, but it's always been his dream to get him to come to his house and sign the wall. 
yeah. uh, where he's kind of has this shrine of of Jim Kelly stuff. And my my fa- my grandfather bought his fiftieth Ford wow. uh, from from West loyalty, man. Yeah, it is. So uh, you know he's been he's great brand ro- loyalty and. The the owner of of West Her Ford in in Western New York um, caught wind that it was his fiftieth purchase and had tried to do a lot of different nice things for him and you know my grandfather a humble man he you said no I've been really happy with the cars I've purchased you know and so you know I don't really need anything from from you and um, found out that he was a Bills fan and that he had this Jim Kelly shrine and uh, West Her Ford in in Western New York arranged for Jim to come they brought a catered lunch and, and got a chance to you know, spend some time together and show him his stuff and got uh, Jim Kelly in his basement to sign the wall. And so it just a really cool experience. And, you know, Jim, Jim definitely came energetic and, uh, you know, signed a bunch of stuff and they had a good, good time together. So that was really cool to see uh, come together and total dream come true, obviously for my grandfather. That's such a great story. And that, that photo, like you said, the, the look of joy on your grandfather's <laughs> face, it was just, it was just great to see. Of course, Joe, we do have a game to talk about. Let's start here. We saw these teams meet back at week four. What's changed for the bills since then? You know, I think the going back to that point in the season, um, it was the bills were three and zero going into that game. And, uh, obviously lost to the Patriots, and it was kind of the the boiling point of, all right, the Bills got to stop turning over the football because they they have a really good defense and they they're potent on offense, but these turnovers are killing them. They've been able to overcome them previously, but obviously against the New England Patriots, they weren't able to. Still, you know, they were what minus I think minus three. They uh, four four interceptions and then uh, the punt block, yeah. and it, it's one of those times where you just you kind of just take a step back and say. My God, you just lost the New England Patriots 16 to 10. Your quarterback threw three interceptions. Your starting quarterback did. Your backup came in and threw a pick. You have a punt block for a touchdown. Um, and you only lost by six. And let's be honest, the Bills had multiple t- chances in that fourth quarter to, to take the lead in the game. And yeah. they didn't even have their starting quarterback. And it's like, all right, this was that big moment. I think it was a turning point in the season where stop killing yourself you're a good enough team you don't have to do everything you don't have to make every play and, and i think it was a big turning point if, if anything i mean you never say it's a good loss but i thought it was a really good launch point because if you look at that moment since they played tennessee the following week and it was an important game for me and when i looked at the schedule i mean the bills were three and one coming out of that patriots game they had a road game in tennessee and then the bye you did not want to have back-to-back losses going into that bye and really take away from the momentum of a good start and from that Tennessee game forward, it's been a totally different team in terms of valuing the football. Josh Allen threw three interceptions against the New England Patriots in week four. He's thrown three interceptions in the 10 games since. I mean, he's just not putting the ball in harm's way. And I think, if anything, the biggest thing that's different about uh, the, the Bills is that Josh Allen is valuing the football. You've seen the emergence of Devin Singletary as the lead running back. He wasn't available for that Patriots game earlier. He, he, he got hurt in week two with a hamstring and then missed – several games in a row and really coming out of the bye he's been the focal point of the running rushing attack the bills have been a lot more explosive in the run game and that was something buffalo had some success with with frank gore against new england running the football and then defensively i think the big shift they've been a good defense all year the real shift for for, for me has been that they've they've turned pressure into sacks at a much higher rate than they did earlier in the season so their pressure packages are really coming together defensively and they're not just affecting quarterbacks by you know hurrying them they're they're bringing quarterbacks down and i think uh, that's kind of the the things I would highlight about what's different right now from the team we watched in week four. 
You might have just answered this, Joe, but I was going to ask you, what's changed in Josh Allen since week four, since that game? And is it cutting down on the mistakes, the lack of interceptions since then? Well, you know, one thing that for for Josh specifically, um, it has been. That's been the biggest thing is is limiting turnovers. I mean, a huge shift, right? Three in the Patriots game, three in the 10 games since. He's valuing the football and and the Patriots was a really good example of Josh having feeling like he had to do too much. And, you know, it, whether it was the, the five times he was sacked in that game um, and, and holding onto the ball and not being decisive, not making accurate throws, putting the ball in harm's way, just throwing it up. Literally, you, you haven't seen that carelessness at all from Josh since. And so, you know, that was a moment where the Bills are three and oh, a lot of momentum, uh, obviously the big monkey of playing the the Patriots and you know how difficult that is for everyone and the stress that it puts on the team you know you really want to you want to get off the schneid there you want to check that box of sick of losing to the Patriots Josh felt like he had to do too much and it was a very inefficient game a very uh turnover prone game and we haven't seen that Josh show up since and he needs to stay gone because uh, that's been that's been a big part of the Bills being able to stack up as many wins as they have is they they haven't turned over the ball like they did early in the season and obviously they couldn't overcome it against the Patriots now the big big thing with Josh still though is Mark he's not hitting stuff deep yeah. you know and he's got he's got chances deep all the time and, and they just don't hit him and you think about how exciting this offense could be if I mean he got 15 percent better <laughs> throwing balls down the field and so um he's still a good short to intermediate passer he's good with his legs but you know he's gonna have to at some point for him to evolve and take that next step as a quarterback, hit stuff down the field and really loosen up these defenses. Because right now, you know, a lot of times he's not really in the ballpark on some of his deep shots. Let me ask you this about the offense. How important to the Bills offense are these two players, Devin Singletary, who you mentioned earlier and Cole Beasley? Yeah, I think they're both really important They're You know, for, for Devin Singletary, um, He's really ignited the the Bills' rushing attack. And I know Frank Gore, I mean, he started the year really nice. Between the tackles, runner, kept the offense on schedule, not a lot of negative plays, just, you know, kind of was a grinder back there. But Devin Singletary, he's not a great athlete, so let's. this is kind of weird. Like, he makes explosive plays, but he's not a great athlete. He's added a more dynamic presence in the backfield where the Bills are able to be more versatile with their rushing attack, getting the ball off tackle, uh, doing you know different misdirection stuff because he does have that shiftiness, that elusiveness to really you know change directions and make guys miss in tight quarters. Where you know Frank Gore is going to get the ball and he's going to he's going to run forward and straight as hard as he can, but there's not a whole lot of creativity or ability to get out of you know a, a, an unblocked play or really any threat off tackle. And so it's made this Bills rushing attack more ver- versatile and more dynamic, and it's it's helped the offense overall. You know Cole Beasley to me is the ultimate you know X factor that the Bills have. It's third and. Beasley third down you know that guy's going to get open throwing the football um for the most part he's been very effective working with Josh Allen now there's been a couple of games this year where they just couldn't get on the same page and there were some drop passes Josh wasn't you know necessarily in in rhythm with him in terms of you know being on the same page with reading the leverage and those types of things um but for the most part it's been a really good connection and it's really helped the Bills offense stay on schedule and convert third downs but you, you, you get nervous, especially the last game they played, uh, the Bills against Pittsburgh. I think Cole Beasley was targeted seven times. He had one reception, two drops, and that happened early in the season as well. So hopefully that version of Josh Allen to Cole Beasley doesn't pop up again. But there's every once in a while there's those moments where they're just not on the same page. But it means so much to the offense when they are. Let me ask you a similar question, but for the defense. How important are Trey White and Tremaine Edmonds? 
Yeah, I mean, those are the Bills. Sean McDermott's been with the team since 2017, and uh, he's made four first-round picks, and there's two of them right there, Trey White, Tremaine Edmonds, and then, of course, Josh Allen and Ed Oliver. And really, that's you think about having a big-time talent at all levels of the defense that they've drafted, yeah. and those are two guys that mean a ton. For, for Trey White, I mean, it's probably a Stephon Gilmore-Trey White conversation as to who the best corner in football is right now, and they're tied for the league, league in interceptions. I think they're one-two in opponents' passer rating against their coverage. I mean, those guys don't give up stuff, man. <laughs> they're 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 really talented football players. They both tackle. They're 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 great players. And and Trey White, it, you know, means a lot to this defense because he has been you know matchup specific with teams' number one receivers. And you know, you can you can do a lot with your coverage, right? You've seen this. You watch yep. all twenty-two ball. It's like you could play man with Trey White, and you could bracket everything else. Yep. And and that's that's a big Patriot staple as well. They right. they gave a lot of money to Stephon Gilmore because they know that they can have him in man coverage and do introverted things with the rest of your coverage concepts and it makes your scheme more multiple so obviously a ton of whatever you think Stefan Gilmore means to the Patriots Trey White means that to the Bills and then Tremaine Edmonds is is so important for you know obviously giving that range and physicality on the second level but that length and what he can do to affect throwing windows is something that I've really appreciated about his game this year you know just how he's got those you know vines for arms and how he's able to to move combined with that length it really cloudies up some throwing lanes for these quarterbacks. And, you know, he just reads the backfield and just slides into those lanes and really just causes a lot of problems. I mean, we saw a play, uh, it was against, um, it wasn't against Pittsburgh, it was against Baltimore. No, it was, it was the Pittsburgh game. I, it's it's one of the last two games where he was lined up on the opposite hash in the A-gap. He, he, he flashes as a blitzer, and then he peels back hard to the opposite hash and breaks up a pass and intercepts it. I mean, he's got ridiculous range and length. Yeah. And, and and teams, you know, they, the quick passing game is a big part of the NFL right now. You've got a matchup eraser, a neutralizer in Tremaine. And, and, you know, he just doesn't have any restrictions. He's 21 years old with two years of starting experience in the league. And, you know, he's going to be, I, I think he's primed to be one of the best, you know, second level defenders in the game. Yeah, his ability to sort of disrupt underneath. I mean, I went back and watched week four, and he was getting under slant routes Yeah, Josh Gordon. And we know New England likes to throw underneath. Having a guy with his length and athleticism just terrifies me, man. Yeah, he's, it's, it, it's, it, and, and you get excited about, like, the Bills' middle of their defense, with the defensive tackles with, you know, uh, Ed Oliver, the guy they recently drafted, Jordan Phillips and his yeah. nine-and-a-half sacks, Star Latula is the run plugger. But then you have Tremaine Edmonds as the middle backer, and then your safety tandem of Jordan Poyer, and, and Micah Hyde, and, yep. you know, that 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 causes a lot of problems for teams in the middle of the field. It certainly does. Joe, as always, we got some great listener questions via the SCO Show Slack channel. We'll start here. Whenever I mention Joe Marino is coming on, people immediately want to talk draft, so I'm not surprised we're going draft <laughs> out of the gate. John Limarakis, first off, he drops the oh, hell yeah, because he's so excited you're on the show. Joe, which wide receivers would you add to complement Harry and Myers along with Jules and Mohamed Sanu for now? Maybe a route runner with some plus athleticism. And he also wants to know, what tight ends do you like for the Pats next year? And I'm going to just sort of tack on to John's question and just kind of nudge you in the, can you please mention Chenault in the wide receiver conversation here, Joe, please? I'm begging you. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I like Chenault in that regard. I think what, what I like about Chenault for any team is that he's a true three-level threat you can you can throw the ball deep to him you can ask him to work the intermediate areas of the field and you can you can get him involved in quick game or whether that's you know a screen pass or a quick slant or uh, a shuffle pass or hand him the football out of the backfield and get that dynamic space player and he's you know he's 6'2 220 with 
alpha traits, you know, just yeah. blue trip, blue chip play strength, physicality. He's got an above the ring game. He can track and, and catch the ball vertically and, and he's creative. I mean, that's a weapon that every single team can use. And when I think about uh, the Patriots receiving core, you know, you want that versatility. And I think he adds that. And, you know, you and I were kind of teasing. We had a very quick pre-show, but one thing we teased about was, you know, what 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 are we doing with Nkeel Harry? Well, what you're doing with Nkeel Harry is a role that's tailor-made for LaVisca Chenault. Yeah. And so and that allows Nkeel Harry to do what he does best, which is, you know, be physical and, and serve as a power forward and win at the catch point and along the sidelines. So, yeah, I think, I think any team that's looking for more versatility – uh, to round out their receiving core would be well served by by looking at LaVisca Chenault. And there's some teams at the end of the first round that I really think could all use them, whether that's Buffalo, whether that's Green Bay, whether that's the Saints, whether yeah. that's the, the, the Patriots. So <sighs> I think that the, the market at the end of the first round for teams that are thinking, okay, other teams are going to get CeeDee Lamb and Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy. All right, we're going to be in the market for like a T. Higgins or a LaVisca Chenault. Well, you know, I just named five teams and they yeah. all can't draft LaVisca Chenault. So uh, I think he'd be perfect for a lot of teams. In the tight end market this year is um, – is it seems like a not a year to to really no. feel like you need to get a tight end. Uh, uh, you know, even a guy like Bryson Hopkins, a guy that uh, I really like his receiving skill set. I think he's got some warts there, and, and you know he's a little bit inconsistent. I mean, y- you like the Hunter Bryant from from Washington if you're kind of looking for a true dynamic receiving threat as a guy that can really do some things. And then you know, Jared Pinkney from Vanderbilt. Yeah, I don't know that I, I'd say I'm going into this draft because especially, Mark, tight ends don't come into the league and, and, and really provide immediate returns. Right. It's a very slow position to transition to the next level. And and for a team like the Patriots where, you know, I'm, I'm assuming we're, we're thinking Brady's back and we're going to gear up for another run, like – you don't have time for that rookie tight end. I just don't know that the Patriots are going to solve their tight end problems by getting a rookie. Let me ask you this. Andy Likens wants to know your view in situation Saturday, because he's going to be stuck, he says, <laughs> in a VFW outside of Rochester with a bunch of Bills fans. Sounds like a good time, Andy. There you go. Know, what's the problem with that? Right. Uh, no, my viewing situation, uh, you know, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'll probably head over to my brother's house. And I'll watch the game from the comfort of his living room with my laptop open and, uh, uh, you know, just enjoying the game with family. Let me ask you this. We're going to turn to thoughts on the timeline, something I've been doing recently, asking either a football or non-football related question. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I asked Seth Kaiser about Baby Yoda. I asked Nate Gary this week about Top Gun Maverick. So I'll ask you, Joe Marito. Where are you on the rise of Skywalker? Are you like it first in line tonight? Are you going to watch it on DVD? Or are you going to watch it at all? I'm going to give you my honest answer here, Mark, but the the first I'm going to push this back on you. Oh boy. You know me a decent amount. What do you think what do you think my answer to this is? What do you I'm, think? I'm guessing you might see this maybe on DVD a couple months down the road. Maybe. <sighs> Brother, I have never watched a Star Wars movie. Well, okay. I mean, I get it. I get it. So, I mean, I I know that's that's like a point of pride for some people, and it's not for me. Like it's 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 I'm not interested in Star Wars. It never really appeals to me. I mean, I'm I'm big on like I'm pro let people like things. Right. But Star Wars just it doesn't move the needle for me. And it's I'm not like bragging that I haven't seen it. It's just I'm not interested. And I'm I mean, I mean, I'm a bad movie guy to begin with. I, I my wife and I, we actually were talking about this this past weekend. We've only been to the movie like movies like three times together. Really? And, and yeah, and w- twice we're like with my entire family where we went and saw like Aladdin the Lion King when the you know the motion pictures came out or right. I guess the graphics or whatever. You know, I just 
I, I worked in movie rental for like 10 years uh, prior to breaking into the football world. And like since then, I have just been anti-movies, if that makes sense. I get you. Look, as far as Rise of Skywalker, I haven't seen – I can't remember the last Star Wars movie I saw. So I'm kind of right there with you. So I get it, man. Believe me. Wasn't there like 18 of them though? Like yeah, eight I, or nine. There's like I think this is in. nine. It's hard okay. to jump in right now. Like this is like a binge kind of thing where you're gonna have to like sit down and watch them all. And Joe, we don't have time for that. No, we gotta break down. There's a D3 quarterback from Mount Union. I'm hearing yeah. good things about. So I gotta watch I've, him first. And I've got fifth round tight ends. I need to tell Patriots fans about here in the Apparently, coming months. I gotta, man, I gotta get gonna, the noldies. You, know? you have to because we're gonna be coming to you for that all draft season, Joe. Great stuff as always. Let me get you out of here on this. Usually I say mealy mouth, you know, give me your expectations, but we're not doing that this week. It's a huge one. Give me a prediction for Saturday. Well, you know, I think the listeners of Locked On Bills have heard me talk all season long about meeting moments. And this is a young football team. It's third-year coach, a second-year quarterback. I mean, second-year middle linebacker. There's young players all over the field that they're asking to fill big roles. And – one thing that has always cautioned me when I think about forecasting the Bills' performance is I, I want to know how they meet moments. And, and I can go through the landscape of the season and I can talk about times they did and did not meet the moment, right? The one example of when they didn't meet the moment, particularly on offense, was against the Patriots. Now, there's been some other times where I thought they have answered that call. Um, but to me, this is that next big one. It's it's December, meaningful football. It's on the road in Foxborough against Tom Brady in December in a game that matters, right? Like conventional wisdom says that that's you're never going to pick the, any team to go into that situation uh, and win the game. And so I, I always have a, a ton of caution when it comes to expecting the Bills to beat the Patriots. It's not something that's happened very often. Uh, I think they've won the last six. Sean McDermott, as much as he's frustrated Tom Brady, he's never beaten him uh, in a regular season game as head coach of the Bills. And so, you know, I, I have a hard time predicting something that doesn't it doesn't make sense to predict to happen just based on what we know. I will say this. I think the big the big thing for the Bills and their evolution as a football team is they, you know, people criticize them this year for playing a soft schedule. Well, to their credit, they beat the teams they were supposed to beat. And then they beat a few teams that were decent, right? They beat the Titans. They beat uh, the Dallas Cowboys. They beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, now they've had they've played the two best teams in the AFC this year. They played Baltimore. They played New England. I've already talked about the dynamics of that New England game. Everybody knows about it. The Baltimore game was another example where the Bills had their chances to beat Baltimore. Defensively, it was the best effort any team's had against Lamar Jackson in that offense this year. Did a really good job neutralizing them. They just couldn't get the efficiency on offense to score enough points to win the game, and they still had multiple chances to do that in the fourth quarter. So the big step for this Bills team in, in, in their evolution as, as a good team now in the league is proving they can beat good teams. They've been close against New England and Baltimore already this year. And so – you know, that's the next step in the evolution. Mark, I don't want to predict it. I don't want to predict it to happen. I can see it happening because the Bills, they weren't outclassed by the Patriots in terms of they didn't belong in the same field with them in week four. They right. didn't not belong in the same field with the Ravens two weeks ago. I think they can hang. But to get over that hump, I'm just not going to predict it to happen this weekend. Fair enough, Joe. Great stuff as always. Remind everybody that just for whatever reason, I wouldn't, I couldn't, couldn't be me. But who doesn't know where to follow you, how they can follow your work on Twitter and elsewhere? Uh, the the handle is at the Joe Marino on Twitter. And so, yeah, a lot of content. That's the best, ha uh, best spot to keep track of it all. 
Fantastic, Joe. Have a great time this week and enjoy the game. So so happy to see that photo again of, of Jim Kelly, your <laughs> grandfather. Just a great story. And by the way, I did notice he had the Draft Network shirt on. Yep. So that's tremendous brand brand <laughs> content there too. That will do it. Joe, have a great holiday season. All the best to you and your family. We will be back Saturday pregame with an episode of Pat's Pulpit Radio. We'll rewind. Until then, friends, please keep on blessing that Patriots reign down in Foxborough.